Welcome to Lifelines, a radio program of the Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation. I'm your host, Maria Gallagher, Legislative Director of the Federation. Joining us today is Courtney Vallejo, who is going to be talking to us about her adoption journey. Welcome, Courtney. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here today. We are so excited to have you with us today. Now, tell me, how did you become acquainted with adoption? So growing up, it was not, um, I didn't know people that were adopted. It wasn't um, something that I was familiar with. It wasn't until after we got married um, and we had um, planned on a big Catholic family um, and God had different plans. And we started looking into the idea of adoption and suddenly we had moved. I had moved uh, to live with my husband when we got married um, in a different city and suddenly everybody we were meeting was adopted, had adopted um, was in the current foster care process, um, and it just, he, the Lord just provided these people in my life. Um, I was a teacher, and there would be parents that would randomly come up and all, oh, no, their child's adopted too, and oh, let me tell you about this agency that we used, and, and God was so gentle and merciful and just gave us all the resources that we needed um, to be able to come become familiar with that process. And since then, we've been able to be a part of that journey for friends and family and to introduce uh, adoption to them, and um, we have lots of friends that have now adopted because of it. That's just tremendous how how it blossomed in your life. Now, can you explain for us the difference between open and closed adoptions? So, um, there's there is a differentiation between open and closed, and there's also a differentiation in the way that the children are adopted. So, there's birth mom adoptions, they generally call them, and those are um, if a birth mom chooses an adoption plan, and she chooses um, adoption for her child, then she can choose whether, and, and the adoptive family as well, whether they want an open or closed adoption. Open means that they're going to, that child will continue to have, uh, or that mother, that birth mother specifically, will continue to have some sort of relationship with either the birth, either her, her birth child or the family that adopted them. So maybe it could be as simple as the adoptive parents sending pictures once a month via email. Um, or it can be um, much greater. It can be the birth mother being invited to birthday parties, and, and the birth father as well. I, I don't mean to exclude them, um, whoever is in the picture. Um, and so it could be, you know, birthday parties and relationships, and, and that can be open. Closed means that there is no communication with that family um, or very little, maybe just the um you know, one adult, for example, the birth, the adoptive parent has the contact information for the birth parent or can find the birth parent if needed, um, and then that birth parent can decide if they want to have contact with that family or not, um, depending on where they are in their life. So maybe that's something that's later down the road. But that open is really to continue it throughout their life, and that closed is... and. And the closed is sometimes used in safety concerns. So if, if the home was... Um, if it was not a birth mom adoption and it was an adoption where the children were entered into foster care, the foster care system, and then adopted out of that, perhaps it's not safe for those children to still be in contact with that birth family. And so the adoption becomes closed. Now, there is a slogan that says adoption is a loving option. Have you found that to be the case? You know, that's an interesting slogan. Um, I would be more curious in where the root of it came from. So it's a loving option for parenting. It's a loving option for those children's lives. It's kind of a, a loving option for what would be my question. Um, but of course, um, adoption gives 
children who have had birth parents that just, for whatever reason, and trust me, you know, the, there's a very stereotypical look at birth parents who have struggled um, and who have made poor choices, but those are parents who didn't have the resources as children that they needed, um, and so they are not now able to take care of their children. And so what it becomes is a loving choice for those children, um, a loving and safe option for them to be raised in families that can give them what they need and can offer them that love and that comfort and that support that their birth parents, for whatever reason, are not able to provide for them. Now, what are some misconceptions about adoption that you can clear up for us? I think there's a million um, <laughs> just kind of coming to the top of my head. As I've um, spoken at different panels over the years or spoken specifically just one-on-one, um, you you come to realize how many misconceptions there are. Um, I think just some of the big ones, um, the idea that, um, an adoptive mom, or I mean, sorry, a, a birth parent um, gave up their child. They they didn't give up their child. There's two things that happen. One is that the that birth mother or birth father. Um, I, I don't mean to be exclusive with one or the other. Just I usually say birth mother um, chose a, a different life for their child that they were not able to provide, and so um, while still pregnant, or even right after, has decided that they want to create an adoption plan for that child, just like we all have plans for our own children. We hope that they do this, or we hope that they find their vocation, or this birth parent has decided that what's best for their child selflessly is um, an adoptive placement, is is living in an adoptive home. And so the idea that um, they gave up their child is not true. They either created a birth uh, adoption plan for that child, or their rights, their parental rights, were terminated, and that is a decision of the state. So the state will come in, and it's different on every state level um, and different procedures um, across the states, but the state has deemed that that parent is not able to take care of the child in the way that the state deems necessary, um, and that parent will may fight. They may be offered services. They may try to complete those services, but not. They may try to fight to keep their rights, and so a lot of that is forgotten in the process. Um, and, oh, well, they, you know, they had this or that issue, and so they just couldn't parent. Well, sure they did, but that comes from, you know, like I said, the the inability that they had growing up to be given the resources they needed. Um, another misconception is um, the real mom term, or it's my real dad. Um, we are all real parents. My children have two sets of parents. They have the parents that created them, and they have the parents that are currently raising them. Neither one of us is more real than the other. Um, I am the one that um, is there when they fall down and scrape a knee or when they need help um, in school or when they, you know, have a hard time and they need to talk through something. Um, But that doesn't negate in any way, shape, or form the fact that someone else gave them life um, and was co-creating with the Lord to, um, to bring them into this world. So... There's no such thing as, in my book, um, I, I am not any more real than their birth mom. Um, and so using, uh, I think a lot of the misconceptions come from language and the use of language. And so being able to identify, okay, this is your birth mom and I'm your adoptive mom or I'm your mom or whatever the word is, um, there's a lot of misconceptions in the language. So I, I, my, my birth parents got rid of me. No, they didn't. You know, Or I'm the real mom. That's where I think the misconceptions, and 
and society can't um, necessarily be blamed for their lack of understanding. I didn't know these terms going into adoption, and so there was a lot of things that you learn, um, lingo and language to identify, or things like people will say to me, um, oftentimes, you know, and we see this with a lot of adoptive families, the kids end up looking like their adoptive parents. Um, they, my children definitely, for good or bad, take on my mannerisms. And so people will say, uh, and, you know, you'll be standing in line at the grocery store and something will come up about, oh, you don't look like each other. You know, some, someone will say something. And people, God bless them, say very interesting things to adoptive families um, that you wouldn't say, oh, are these your, are these your kids? Are these all your kids? Um, are, you know, just questions I wouldn't ask a normal person. Um, and so I think that there's a lot of misconceptions in that. Oh, are these yours? They are mine, not by possession. They're not items, you know, but um, there's often um They don't know, people don't know how to handle, you know, if my children don't look like me, they have a lot of questions. And um, so I think that there's a lot of education that needs to be done about why we do look different, because we do. Um, and there are reasons why, but God's created us as a family different from other families. So I think that might, I think there's a lot of things, but there's a lot of misconceptions out there, which I would definitely uh, encourage those listening to um, reach out to adoption agencies, adoption websites, even if you're not interested in adoption, even if that's not a call on your heart, um, to really look into the process um, and, uh, and understand those terminologies so that, that we can better be better at the pro-life mission, including adoption, and to not segregate it as its own kind of, oh, well, that's for those people, if that makes sense. That makes perfect sense to me. Now, if a birth mother came to you and was considering adoption, what would you tell her? Oh, gosh, that would be so hard. (laughs) My heart would break for her. Um, I would would just sit with her. I would just, um, I would, I would, encourage her, I would um, acknowledge the sacrifice that she's considering making. Um, For those of us that are parents, uh, I would go to the ends of the earth to protect my children and uh, selfishly to keep them with me. So if someone is considering coming up with an adoption plan for their child, I would just um, encourage them to work with agencies, specifically um, private agencies, Catholic agencies, to See what, what's really out there to first first look at what um, the resources that they feel like they're lacking and to see if those resources could be found for them. There's plenty of agencies and programs um, in the states to continue to keep, um, to give resources to those birth moms. Um, but if they felt like that wasn't something that they could do or that their children would be, um, it would be better for the life of the child, then I would definitely connect them with private agencies um, who could find birth families, I would just encourage them to, um, I mean, it's, it's hard. That's such a hard question as an adoptive mom because I want, because I know so many wonderful adoptive families. So I want to say there's so many families out there that are waiting to be adoptive homes that are waiting to love on those little babies. But that doesn't negate the fact that maybe as a birth mom, you just need, you know, help with groceries or you just feel like parenting is not something you know, you need parenting skills. Okay, then there's parent workshops. Like, do you have a stable environment other than that? It, you know, can we fill in the gaps for you? Can we walk alongside with you? Or is it just 
too much, um, in which case we want to help you find that adoptive placement for your baby. That is such a beautiful, loving response. Thank you for that. Do you think that there need to be more resources available to promote adoption? I think that there does. I think, um, you know, it's interesting to me when that the response that you had to being an adoptive mom, my heart would have gone years before. It's been, we've, we adopted our first children in 2013, no, sorry, 2011. Um, and then our, we adopted a, a biological sibling set in 2011, and then our youngest came home in 2016. Um, and it's been a journey, too, I feel like, just for me. So if you had asked me that question in 2010, what would I say to a birth mom? I would say, oh, my gosh, like, you have to find an adoptive placement home for this child. Like, they can do it better. You know, like, you, your tendency is almost uh, sadly to say they can do it better, and, and that's not true necessarily. Um, it depends on the family, and so I feel like there aren't enough resources out there even to educate me as, a, as an adoptive mom on what's really happening. It was more, um, I actually ended up in a group that I had gone to this group for um, some counseling ish, uh, that I was seeking and ended up that half of the group was current birth moms who had their children in foster placements that were going through services. And I, I just <laughs> I was just in shock, Lord, what mm-hmm. am I doing in this room? Mm-hmm. Um, and he was able to provide and show me the other side of the story. Right, the the birth parent who really is fighting, who's doing everything they can to better themselves so that they can live that life with that that child of theirs. Um, and so I feel like there's a lot of resources out there. There's support groups and there's um, websites, but there's there needs to be more people coming alongside the birth moms and the adoptive moms um, and the social service workers as well to. How do we really maneuver this? It, it almost there's times when the journey of adoption for um, becomes a business. You have social workers coming to your house to check on the kids, which is needed to make sure everything's going well, and it becomes um, this, this is their job. And so there's a fine line with them getting emotionally attached, and also just you know it's it's a child. I need to, this is the job. I need to place them. I need to um, what what's best for them, but also what's best for the birth mom. There's a lot of people that play parts in these and that can have emotions and feelings about the child. And so I don't think that there's enough resources out there to get all of us even on the same page as far as what's the, you know, as far as how do we best take care of this child. Um, And so if there's not enough resources for me, there's not enough resources definitely for those looking into adoption. Does that mean that there aren't resources? No, there's plenty of resources. Um, but I think that the support groups are what I feel are lacking. Um, as I've gone to seek support groups, a lot of them have either been filled or they're too far away or they're too small or, you know, and, and so it's something that I have to seek that's not just being kind of presented. Um, and social services does all that they can, but even that is, is limited um, as far as even post-adoption. So now that these children are home, sure, the adoption journey has ended as far as placement, but it's just beginning as far as parenting um, and working through with them. And so I feel like a lot of families that I know are having to seek out those resources. Um, just like any parent, right? You, you have a, a, you're a concern with your child and so you have to seek the resources. So it would just be such a blessing if they were more 
available. Thank you. You're listening to Lifelines Radio, recorded by JMJ Radio. I'm your host, Maria Gallagher. Joining us today is Courtney Vallejo, and we are talking about adoption. Courtney, what do you think your life would have been like without adoption? <laughs> That's a simple answer. I wouldn't be a mom. <laughs> oh, wow. um, I, I mean that like that that's I wouldn't I would sure there's some others but um, my life would not be full um, full of the Lord yes of course but um, getting to experience Christmas morning with a child um, just recently my middle son he's 12 and he became obsessed with lizards and he wanted one. Oh my gosh, this was it. Like he needed a lizard. He will not stop talking. I was like, if you just stop talking about the lizard, I'll buy a lizard. Um, and so yesterday we came home with the lizard and he's just beside himself about this lizard. And that's something that I would have missed um, had adoption not been given as an option to me because I would have missed that joy of that little 12 year old boy just, I mean, literally staring at the cage. He's, I have a picture of him with his hand on the cage, the lizard's hand, or. <laughs> or whatever, is on the other side of the cage, and they're just hanging out together. Um, I would have missed um, all of those moments of, um, those parenting moments of late nights when somebody's throwing up and you just want to go to sleep. Um, But to be able to hold, especially um, our youngest, the first week he was home, had some awful asthma. And he's this brand new person who I don't even know, um, and he doesn't know me, and he was up all night coughing, and I was just holding him and trying to comfort him, and that bond that um, the Lord offered to us so quickly, um, and just being able to comfort him, and for him to be able to feel that love, um, I would have missed that. I would have missed first days at school, or we homeschool, so homeschooling with them, um, I, I'm sure I would have missed some stressful parenting moments too, but um, yeah, I just my husband and I would have just missed out on on living these lives with these little people who, you know, they say will grow up so quickly, and when they're toddlers, you're like, are you serious? Will they really? Um, and now we are on the verge. We're one year away from our oldest in high school, so mm-hmm. we have a whole new adventure coming with high school and with vocations and and real life, so to say. So I would have missed out on all of that. What is your advice to couples who are considering adoption? Um, find couples that have adopted and talk to them. Um, at least for me, it was really important to get that one-on-one. Um, if you do start to walk down that path, find agencies. Um, if you are looking at the county, look at the county information center. I would, uh, I would say, you know, go to the cou- county's information session with your local, uh, local county if you're looking to foster it. And then I would say find some private agencies that fit your belief system and go to their information sessions. Um, it's, it's like you're researching anything, a job, a school, you want to see all your options. Um, and, and most importantly, um, I didn't see it years ago, but now coming into it, it really is a, voca- uh, is a call, I think, to some families and not a call to others. Um, just as biological children um, the Lord calls certain families to and certain families not. So I feel like if it's on your heart at all, if you have that little tiny burn of, oh, I would love to help or be a part of this, um, look into it because there's always um, big sister, big brother type programs. There's programs that walk along with the birth bombs. There's programs that walk along with the adoptive families that you may never get to the actual adoption part, but you can find how the Lord is calling you to help. Um, and if you, um, I wouldn't force it. For sure, if there's one spouse that is just 
feet in the ground. This is not what I feel called to. You can't force parenthood on people, um, and it is a journey that is unlike anything I've ever been through. So you have to both be open and on the same page, um, or there is a lot of other emotions that come with that. Um, and I would just say find find that support group. I feel like um, I've come along some birth adoptive moms that um, we or or families that deal with infertility and you can I just say things that I know I struggle with and that mom just weeps because someone finally understands them so find those people that you can relate to that you can ask questions hey is this normal what should I do we're having this issue today like just people that I I have people in my life that I can just text and say here's what happened it's a private space and they respond back I've got you in prayer you know we don't even have to describe details we just know what that journey's like now, how did you become involved with CatholicMom.com? Um, actually, in 2011, I was at a cookie party, of all things. It was a Christmas cookie party, and our children had come home in October. Um, and this was December, and I was invited to something, and it was probably the first time I'd gotten out of the house. <laughs> and it was a, a small little cookie party. There was probably 10 of us ladies, and you bring a dozen cookies and swap. And it was a principal from a local Catholic school I knew, and an, another friend had invited me, and Lisa Hendy. Um, the founder of CatholicMom.com was at this cookie party. And so one of the exercises was to sit around the room and how has the last year been to you? A lot of these women, um, a little bit older than you, but they knew each other and their kids had you know, gone through school and things like that. And so she said, well, I wrote a book. And, and that was, um, I believe at that point, it was the handbook to a mother's, uh, mother's handbook. And she had started, uh, she was working with the Catholic television network in the diocese, and I actually have a, a master's degree in film production, and so I went to her and said, I want to help with this TV production, um, and then also you have this website, you know, what to do with that? I have a journalism major, and I love to write, and she said, well, I, you know, I'd love to see it, especially, like, we don't have, they didn't have at that point a lot of adoptive moms writing, and so mm-hmm. she was excited to see kind of how that would come to fruition, and she just said, send us your paperwork, or send us some writing samples, and so I did, and I think I wrote one or two at the beginning of the, the following year of 2012 and then um, really started at, at my job entering a teacher kindergarten program that fall. And so um, just kind of dove in with, you know, the school year. So I've been with them since 2012, which is hard to believe. My goodness. Um, and I write for them once a month. So it's been a, a great outlet for me to be able to write um, and then a challenge, too, for me to have some some deadlines and things that I need to look forward to. And I also got to write with their, um, they did a daily inspirational journal and um, uh, book. And I got to write for that. And it just opened up lots of opportunities for film reviews and movie reviews. And it's been a great opportunity. And what are some of the topics you've written about for the website? Um, I've written about adoption. I've written about um, parenting uh, through um you know, looking at the church through our children's eyes. I've looked at, um, I, uh, gosh, I mean, ten, almost 10 years of articles every month. Um, <laughs> I've written about, um, a lot of it is, is things that kind of just come to me that week. So, in fact, my articles do on Thursday, and I'm like, okay, Lord, what are we writing about? Um, and it will just be something that occurred recently. You know, one time I had a son that I went to a church with, and he just had his head down the whole time on the pew, and I was like, can't you just put your head up? You know, can't you just pay attention? And then it dawned on me, 
isn't the Lord saying that to me? Isn't he saying, Courtney, can't you just put your head up and look at me? Um, and so a lot of those things will come up, just me seeing through my through me parenting my children how the Lord, you know, is, is calling me to and how he's parenting me as well. So I've dealt with um, anxiety. I've struggled with anxiety over the last two years and panic attacks and things like that. I've written about that. Um, so just a myriad of whatever is happening in that current moving. We moved um, from California to Arizona, so I wrote about that, just kind of what the Lord has done in those journeys. And it's amazing because I write for CatholicMom.com as well, and it's incredible the topics that just come into your life that you want to share with other people. I mean, there's there's no shortage of topics because God is always inspiring you to write about something in your life, and and you form a great connection with the audience um, Mm -hmm. who, who shares the the gift, the vocation of motherhood, and um, it, it really is a, a wonderful, wonderful ministry. And tell it, me... It's such a great community, even to be yeah. a part of, I feel like, the support that we have just amongst the re- uh, amongst our writers, um, and then even, like, exactly what you're saying, there's been so many months where, okay, all week I've been thinking, this is what I'm going to write, and I'll sit down, and that just doesn't... All of a sudden, there's a block, and this other idea comes... And I write this article and think, oh, Lord, this isn't even that good. Why am I putting this out there? And inevitably, those, someone will respond back, oh, my gosh, I completely agree. I needed this. I heard this. And I thought, well, that's not for me. That's from the Lord. <laughs> but, um, yeah, but we need, as, as mothers, we need that community that we can go to for support and encouragement and relation. Oh, my gosh, I can relate to what they're saying. You know, yeah. And with the minute we have left, what is a momrevolution.com? So Mom Revolution is a website that my girlfriend and I um, were inspired to create. We're in the midst of this motherhood thing. We're not really sure what we're doing. Um, And we came up with this mission to inspire, encourage, and reclaim joy in motherhood. So motherhood cannot always, in in my life, was not always joyful and had struggles. And and you're looking at all these moms on Pinterest and thinking, what am I doing? Or, you know, Facebook, Instagram, what am I doing wrong? Why Why aren't I smiling and everything? And so it was just to say, hey, we're Catholic moms. Let's encourage each other. Let's look at some things we can do for feast days. Let's talk about the struggles. Let's just put it out there. Um, And it was something that we've um, worked on over the years, and it's definitely taken pauses as we've moved. And my girlfriend's had her fourth baby, and, you know, we kind of come and go with it. It's it's more um, probably a social media. Um, At this point, the website um, was going through some some changes, and so um, that was that um, mayor – might not be currently up um, when this uh, radio is coming out, but all of our blogs are on there as well. We just started blogging for it um, and wanted to get that back up and running. Uh, but you can find us on Instagram and Facebook, A Mom Revolution. And, yeah, just to inspire, encourage, and reclaim joy. Not that there has to be, but that we can inspire one another um, to just keep living the life, keep keep pushing through with motherhood and, and giving it everything we can, you know, and what the Lord has given to us to share with others. You've been listening to Lifeline, the radio program of the Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation. I'm your host, Maria Gallagher. Thank you for joining us. And remember, there's always a reason to choose life.